Super Bowl week is here. I'll go through some early storylines between two teams that are very familiar with one another as both the Chiefs and 49ers descend on Las Vegas. The final coaching position in the NFL has been filled in Washington. Was that a good choice? A key player in the Eastern Conference will be sidelined for quite some time in the NBA. Have the Lakers turned the corner? And we're days away from the trade deadline on Thursday. Will there be any big-time player movement? It's time to rev up the college basketball engine as we get into the teeth of the regular season schedule. The NHL All-Star Weekend has come and gone. How will the second half unfold? The Orioles traded for an ace as they gear up for an encore to their AL East 101-win division championship. I'll have all of that and then some as the latest podcast is forthcoming. It's all coming up, but first, this message. Jay Reels here to spend a brief moment and share a friendly reminder to please subscribe, rate, review the podcast on whichever platform you listen to on the regular. Just so we can increase the visibility of the Jay Reels podcast to those who aren't familiar with it. Leave plenty of stars, write a favorable review. It will go a long way for the curious listener looking to hop on board to get a dose of entertaining and passionate sports talk. For the visually inclined, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, at Jay Reels, as I post daily shorts and weekly vlogs, not only delving into the world of sports, but follow me on my journey to take the podcast and channel to new heights, as I provide an in-depth, behind-the-scenes look at what it takes for yours truly to produce content on a day-in, day-out, week-in, week-out basis. It goes without saying how much I truly appreciate all of your support, and without further ado, the J Reels Podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2... One. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The sports rebel without a pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. The sun is shining on the sports world as it gears up for an enormous week, especially the NFLs we know. But I got you covered on everything that's happening yesterday, today, and tomorrow as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back. And just a quick programming note, some housekeeping, if you will. A week from today, which will be the day after Super Bowl 58, the podcast will be in video format. That's right, on my YouTube channel, at J Reels, so you definitely want to peep in, not just the audio that you hear on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, but for the visually inclined, you will definitely want to take into shape as to what the channel is all about, but even more so, what the video component will be like, and although I did experiment going back to, I believe, December of 2022, but uh uh-uh, this is going to be full bore now from here on out. And the other newsworthy item that I must share, because my next podcast, obviously, as everybody knows, will be on Thursday, but that will be my first podcast as a full-time producer, host, and content creator. That is right. Yours truly is making the leap. Tomorrow is my last day in corporate America as this is it. 
All the sleeves will be rolled up. I will have probably some beads of sweat on my brow, but that is going to be a part of my hard work that I've done for almost six years because the podcast will be six come March 1st, but now there will be no excuses. I am going to not only put forth all of my chips in the middle of the table when it comes to the gamble on myself and everything that I've built to this point. And I understand it may not be much, but now, as I said to you, going back to the latter part of 2023 into January and even as early as last week, I told you this is going to be a big year and that you're going to want to stay tuned. So that is the programming note that I want to share that the next podcast will be not that it matters from the grand scheme of things because whether I was working one job, two jobs, or was unemployed, but knowing for sure that this is it. My job title is going to change after tomorrow around 5 p.m. when I'm booting 9 to 5 corporate America for good to pursue this passion and not only building this podcast, but also building the video aspect of it on YouTube with my shorts, etc. So I just want to put that out there for those guys and gals that have been listening, whether it is your first time or your 100th or even 433rd time, which I believe this is the 433rd podcast that I put out there. So I just want to say that and I'm truly grateful for all your support, for stopping by to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports, as I say each and every week, but even more so now, I'm really going to need your assistance, your help, your participation, your contribution, go to my YouTube channel, at JReels, subscribe there, of course, subscribe to this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts, etc., so let me just put that aside as we can move on to sports, and one more time, teach and every one of you, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. Now as we turn our attention to the NFL, as they get ready to have an enormous week, as I mentioned And we know who the two teams are that will face off six days from now in the desert, Allegiant Stadium, the first time that the NFL will have a Super Bowl in not only just the state of Nevada, but Las Vegas. And could you imagine that even as early as 20 years ago, the NFL would have shunned, would have just thumbed their nose that there is no way that we would have a Super Bowl in Sin City, the gambling capital of America. Because the NFL did not want to have any connection or any relationship with gambling, no matter how much they tried to hide it, no matter how much they tried to tongue-in-cheek it, they knew that gambling just rules the roost when it comes to the NFL with all the injury reports, with all the props, with the boxes, with the point spreads, over-unders, you name it. And now, as we get set to have that game at Allegiant Stadium between the Niners and the Chiefs. And I'm just going to go through some early storylines. I'll have my breakdown of the game come Thursday. I'll save it for then. Give you a prediction and so on. We do know that these two teams are very familiar with one another. If you recall, just four years ago in Miami, Super Bowl 54, both of these teams. Now you do have some different cast of characters. You're not going to have the same exact team as we know because if you remember back then, the Niners had Jimmy Garoppolo under center where now you have Brock Purdy. You have the two coaches that were there then that are here now in Andy Reid of the Chiefs and Kyle Shanahan of the 49ers. We know that the quarterback has been there in that first Super Bowl that they won for the first time in 50 years when they date back to 1970 when they beat the Vikings. Of course, beating the Niners on that day with Patrick Mahomes winning the first of two Super Bowls and two Super Bowl MVPs. 
So you have that in the mix. But with the game overall, as far as what to really look out for, think about this. The quarterback and coach, they will be in some rarefied air with a win on Sunday. They will be only the fourth QB coach tandem to win not one, not two, but three Super Bowls. They will join the likes of Brady Belichick, of course. Chuck Knoll and Terry Bradshaw of the Steeler yesteryear, going back to the 70s, and the Bill Walsh, Joe Montana, Niners teams of the 80s. And you know that the Niners fans are going to want to do whatever it takes to not only exact revenge for what happened four years ago in Miami, but of course not to get into that pantheon between the other three that are already there and the coach Andy Reid and quarterback Patrick Mahomes who are looking to bash through that door to be a part of that company. So you have that to look forward to if you're a Chief fan. And if you're a Niner fan, I know this is going to fall squarely on the head coach. And here's a big storyline here. It's been well documented that Kyle Shanahan, as coach of the Niners just a few years ago, and then even a couple of years prior to that, as the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons, and we know how much that they imploded and gagged and choked a 28-3 lead. I understand it could fall on the head coach at the time, Dan Quinn, and I'll get to him a little bit later on. But for Shanahan, this is not going to be it for him, but you would think that who knows when he's going to get back there and he's going to have to show the world if he is a top flight coach to be worthy of guys in the sport, whether it is his counterpart in the Super Bowl, Andy Reid, or Sean McVay, or even guys like Mike Tomlin for that matter, or some of the young coaches that are on the come up, but certainly aren't going to be in that stratosphere as far as being one of the top two, three, or even five coaches. We can't say Bill Belichick right now because he's not employed, but we understand he's going to be part of the coaching fraternity, you would think, sometime in 2025. But for Kyle Shanahan to prove all the naysayers and all of the chirping that he's had to hear, whether it's through newspaper print, magazines, sports talk shows, podcasts, etc. He has come close to the top of the mountain, but hasn't gotten there. And now he has his team back in the Super Bowl to go against a very familiar foe and hope that he could do whatever it takes to put his team at the very top. And mind you, a Niner franchise that has not won a Super Bowl going on 30 years. Now it's been 29 seasons when you think about it because they did win that Super Bowl 29 in the 94 season and even though we are in 2024 so technically it is 30 years but it's been 29 seasons since they won one and that's another story because this Niner franchise as we know going back to the 80s and very proud a franchise that was the team in the 80s they won four of their five Super Bowls during that run and I get it you could say that last one which was in the 89 into 90 season, and if you recall that 90 season, they were going for a three-peat. They got stymied by the Giants there in Candlestick with Matt Barr and company. But for this franchise that has not had the taste of champagne in two, almost three decades, and it's all right in front of them. They have the pieces, they have the players, they have the even pedigree, because they have been successful. But they're missing that hardware. They're missing that championship. And one more time, they have to show and prove to not only the Kansas City Chiefs, who they weren't able to beat at this juncture just 
four years ago, but now they're at a point where it's win or go home, literally and figuratively, because this team is going to have a cloud cast over them if they're unable to win this game come Sunday. And we could talk about whether it's a tight-knit, hard-fought, low-scoring game, or even if it becomes a shootout. If they are one point less than the Kansas City Chiefs, that's all they're going to hear throughout the course of this offseason. Kyle Shanahan can't win the big game. The Niners, for all of their success in the 80s and into the 90s, they can't seem to win a Super Bowl. Whether that goes back to the game against the Ravens, where with the blackout and Beyonce, and even with the non-call, the pass interference in the end zone on Michael Crabtree, therefore thwarting a six Super Bowl in six tries at that time, or a few years ago where they had a 20-10 lead in the fourth quarter and they intercepted Patrick Mahomes there in that final frame and for them to give up 21 points, including that third and 15 that maybe people have forgotten about, to Tyreek Hill where Richard Sermon was nowhere to be found and that was the catalyst to propel the Chiefs to win that Super Bowl and put up 21 points in the final seven-plus minutes of the game. And yes, they have all of that stacked on them heading into this game. Now, of course, the coach is going to downplay it. That was then. This is now. I'm sure he's going to face all the questions as I believe media day is tonight. Media day used to be on Tuesday, if you recall, but now they shift everything as both teams are in Vegas. I believe they're in Vegas right now and they should be. But you know that Kyle Shanahan is going to have to face 10,000 questions in 10,000 different varieties as far as trying to win this big game. And if they do not come out alive here, he's going to have to face that for another year. And that's a big storyline. And that starts with the coach, but then it also goes to the organization because they haven't won one in what seems like forever. And everybody talks about the Cowboys not winning a championship. And mind you, they won a Super Bowl before the Cowboys did. Remember, that stretch where the Cowboys won three out of four, the first two with Jimmy Johnson and the last one with Barry Switzer, the one that was sandwiched in between was the Niners. And I get it that they're not going to get as much flack and as much hatred as the Cowboy fan does, but the Niners, they are in the desert just squandering and thirsting and hungering for a title. And squander, what I mean is going back to the two Super Bowls that I referenced to, the Raven one in 2012, and then, of course, just a few years ago, as we've mentioned, the game in Miami. So that's what we have when it comes to those storylines. And to me, the other two that factor in are the nerves and jitters of Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy, because we get it. He's got to this point, And even though they had to come from behind against Green Bay and Detroit at home, but this is a whole different animal altogether. This is a team that's already won two Super Bowls and on the verge of going three of the last, what, four years? So for Brock Purdy to be on the center to try to dethrone the defending champ and dethrone in all likelihood what could be a dynasty. And to me, three out of four isn't a dynasty. I like to see three in a row. But all that stands between he and winning a Super Bowl is that quarterback, that team, and what they've been able to do here over the last few years. And if Purdy gets off to a slow start the way he did against the Packers and the Lions... To do this against the Chiefs is going to be a tough sell. It is going to be monumental. And I don't know if he's going to be able to do that if they go down, let's say, 14-3 or 17-7, similar to what the Ravens did in the AFC Championship game. So 
that's going to be one to where Purdy, yes, he's gotten to this point. He's come from behind in playoff games. He's made it stick to the point where we didn't feel like he had the chutzpah to get his team trailing by whether it's one score, two score, three scores to come from all the way behind. And even though Dan Campbell is partly responsible for that, but to be able to come from all the way behind to get his team to victory and in this case to a Super Bowl. But there's no way that against this team that does not beat themselves and as a quarterback that's on the trajectory to being one of the best of all time, if not the best of all time as of right this moment, then Brock Purdy, he's going to have to check himself. He's going to have to make sure those butterflies aren't going to be not just in his stomach, but in between his ears and even more so in his chest, his heart. So you got that to chew on. And then the other thing that I feel is a big factor here, and even though their running game was stout a few years ago, not necessarily in the Super Bowl, but to me, the one key player for San Francisco, and I understand it does fall on the quarterback's shoulders for the most part, but what's going to make his life easier and what the Chiefs didn't have in the game four years ago, that what they have now, and I don't want to make him an X factor because he's not, but Christian McCaffrey. And that Chief defense, as unheralded as they are, that's not a defense that maybe, other than Chris Jones, there's not a Hall of Famer that's going to be enshrined one day in Canton. And for the Chiefs to be able to slow him down, chances are they're probably not going to stop him, but he is going to be a huge focal point of not only that Chief defense and Steve Spagnolo, but for the Niners to get to that mountaintop and to win the whole thing. And yes, it also falls on their offensive line and other players like Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk. Of course, understood. And we also understand that Debo Samuel is a Swiss Army knife. He's the guy that maybe is the straw that stirs that offense's drink, arguably. Because a lot of people could say it's Christian McCaffrey. But the one guy that's going to get some big-time protection if McCaffrey is going off at clips with big-time yardage and chunks down the field, whether it's in the backfield or even in the flat by reception, my thing is that if McCaffrey's going to have one of those games that could be borderline MVP or maybe the other way, if it's going to be a long late afternoon into the evening for McCaffrey, that could spell curtains or that could certainly be what the Niner fan and their faithful will hope to have McCaffrey have that big game and win them a Super Bowl or if not, it could certainly be a long Super Bowl 58 for number 13, Brock Purdy, and the Niner offense. So that's what I have with the storylines. Because other than that, we could talk about Mahomes winning his third and three MVPs and the trajectory of being the best of all time. But let's have the game take place and let's see where it falls before we even get to that. And yes, I understand I did talk about the whole QB head coach combo. I only brought that up because it does tie in with the Niners with Walsh and Montana. And if they do win that. But as far as individual performance goes, and with Mahomes being 14-3 and in the postseason throughout his career, and technically having one bad half out of those three losses, the second half against Cincinnati in the first championship game two years ago, to where the Super Bowl against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the year after they won the Super Bowl against the Niners, that wasn't Mahomes' fault. He was running for his life. The offensive line was Swiss cheese. Andy Reid made zero adjustments. And on top of that, they had to deal with a lot of 
heartache in the family when it comes to the son of Andy Reid who got into that fatal accident where I believe a young girl was killed and having that specter hang over their heads heading into the Super Bowl week and you also have a little bit of a similarity not to that degree thank goodness with Patrick Mahomes Sr. his father who was caught with a DWI by suspicion in Texas nothing to really get crazy about because it wasn't as if anybody was injured or severely hurt or God forbid even killed but that's something that may hang over the head of Patrick Mahomes I understand it'll be laser focused and it'll be ready to go but any storyline heading into this game revolving the Chiefs whether it's positive or negative and as we've seen negative in the past who knows what that could do but going back to that Super Bowl it wasn't on Mahomes and that's the point because of the game plan and the lack of adjustments and the offensive line was just terrible and the teams are relatively healthy for the most part I know we got to find out about Joe Tooney the left guard for the Chiefs you would think that he's going to be a go but nothing has been said as of right this moment as for the Niners I know Debo Samuel you figure he's going to play even though he's been nursing a shoulder injury but we would think that all of the players that we would expect to be there lined up and ready to go for kickoff there around 6.40 Eastern for this game, I don't see a player that's not going to be on those sidelines dressed and ready to go or even in street clothes for that matter and is going to miss this game. I would think it's going to be all systems go for both rosters as we get set for another Super Bowl to take place. And like I said, come Thursday, I'll get into the game, I'll get into some matchups, break it down and predict who I think will win Super Bowl 58. And as far as the coaching scenario goes in the NFL, the last position has been filled. So as I discussed earlier, no Bill Belichick for this year because you had the last two spots, Seattle. We talked about that the other day with Mike McDonald, the former defensive coordinator of the Ravens. And then now the former defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys... And the one Dan Quinn has been appointed the head coach of the Washington Commanders. And if you ask me, I do not think that was a good hire. We could talk about the 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. But I'll even put that aside because that was years ago. It was his first go around as a head coach. Still inexcusable. But, alright, it's been years since that. So, we could put that aside. But... Although he's had success in the regular season as the Cowboy defensive coordinator, did the front office and ownership did not see the playoff game against the Packers to where it was in the fourth quarter and the Packer offense, no, it was not Aaron Rodgers or any of the players of yesteryear that have donned the green and gold, whether it was in a Super Bowl back in 2010 for the Packers or even of recent vintage, with big time guys like Devontae Adams and players that obviously were all pro or pro bowl type players that the hierarchy of the commanders I don't know what they saw but 48 points by Jordan Love and some good players we understand Aaron Jones ran roughshod over that Cowboy defense which would be another red flag if you ask me but why would they hire Dan Quinn? I don't know, but he would have been the last guy I would have hired only because two reasons. One, based on his performance there in that postseason game, despite the fact that 
They didn't have Trayvon Diggs, their other fine defensive back that was out with an ACL. And yes, they may not have been healthy toward the end of the year with guys like Leighton, Van Der Esch, etc. But that performance was abominable against the Packers, if you recall. So I wouldn't have hired him just based on that. And people could say, oh, he just can't base it on one performance. It's a playoff game. This isn't week six against Arizona or week 14 against the Carolina Panthers. This is playoffs against a 9-8 and team that made it on the last day of the regular season and they went into your building, a building that you were 8-0 this year and the previous year you were 8-0 as well and they just went in there, took your lunch and took no prisoners in the process and that's your guy that you selected as your head coach? And then the second thing is, and I understand there's no connection here, unlike maybe years ago where Jack Kent Cook, the owner of the, at the time, Redskins, I'm sure there would have been no way. Tom Landry would have fell at his feet, and I'm sure he wouldn't have hired him, just based on the rivalry and how Giants, Eagles, and this case, Commanders, they wouldn't go anywhere near the Cowboys for a coach, player, assistant coach. Why are they going to the Cowboys for this guy? And I understand Josh Harris and Magic Johnson's group, etc. They just got the team five minutes ago. But why are you going to the Cowboys to pluck a defensive coordinator who had probably his worst effort in God knows how long as your new head coach? Nothing against Dan Quinn. And I mean that sincerely. But all you got to do is just watch with your own eyes. And really, you were sold to think that, well... Dan Quinn, I love him. He's a guy that's rah-rah, Dan Campbell, go through a brick wall, so on and so forth. Not after that performance. So I just had to throw that out there. Again, nothing personal against Dan Quinn by any means. And yes, he does have the Super Bowl on his resume. And we could talk about Bill Belichick and Tom Brady was on the other side, etc. But that was late third quarter. It wasn't 28-3 with 11 minutes to go in the second quarter where there was still... Two and a half, more than two and a half quarters in the game. This was with about, I think it was less than two minutes before the Patriots made it 28 to 9. And off the top of my head, I believe they went for two and missed. So even with, let's say, a minute 30 to go in the third quarter, they had a 28 to 9 lead. Up by three scores. And they gagged. And that's your head coach. All right, let me turn my attention to the association as I got some NBA news and notes to get to here, lacing up those high tops and some huge news coming out of the Eastern Conference where the Sixers will be without Joel Embiid, the reigning MVP, as he suffered a torn meniscus in a game against Golden State there, I believe it was earlier in the week, and even though it was day-to-day at the time, but now it's been reported to where he's going to be out. No timetable was set, but a torn meniscus could be Anywhere between three to six weeks. And with Embiid being a big guy, his head leg issues, more so foot issues in the past, but they're going to take their time to get their MVP back in the lineup. And as it is, the Sixers are slipping in the Eastern Conference to where they're currently fifth. Now they've been at three pretty much for the majority of the last month or so. With the Celtics and Bucks ahead of them. But the Sixers now have dropped a 5. To where the Knicks have surpassed them. In the division. As well as the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now of course there's still plenty of basketball to be played. 
Those teams have played anywhere between 48 to 50 games. Sixers, 48. Knicks have played 60. And the Cavs have played 49. So they do have a couple of games in hand. But you have to wonder how long he's going to be out. And that is going to be a huge loss. Now, granted, if he comes back 100% healthy, let's say sometime in the middle of March, as they gear up in that last month before the playoffs, that will be huge. And who knows, maybe it'll be a dark horse considering where they may be in the standings. But if you're the Sixers right now, knowing that the Celtics and Bucks are going to be far ahead of you as far as getting a two-seed or even a one, but now you have to wonder whether or not Cleveland, who has played well here, they've won five in a row and they were a middling team and I picked them as an under. I believe they were at 50... I got to see what their number was. I think it was 50 and a half, maybe 51 and a half. And I thought that was too high even though they had a very successful year last year, but now they've been coming on strong and playing well. And for the Knicks, who had a nine-game winning streak snapped on Saturday night against the Lakers, who played some good defense, and I'll get to the Lakers in a second, but Philadelphia, you certainly have to be concerned, at least in the immediacy, throughout the course of how long he's going to be out, on whether or not the Sixers are just going to continue to plummet. And even though the Pacers, who are... Five games ahead of them in the standings, or I should say the Pacers are five games behind them in the standings. You would think that the Sixers will be no worse than three, but could go maybe five. And if the Pacers get their act together and the Sixers continue to drop like a stone in an ocean, who knows whether or not the Sixers will be hovering around that five, six area. So that's one thing I want to get at. As far as the Lakers go, have they turned the corner? Now, the Lakers. As we had talked about weeks ago, and I can't take the full credit, but I'll mention this one last time. Winning that in-season tournament, you wonder if they had some hangover. And who would ever have thought that they'd be hangover in the middle of the season based on this NBA Cup that took place in November and the championship in December when the Lakers beat the Indiana Pacers. But now with LeBron and AD, who are out on Thursday night against the Celtics, and maybe I should spend a second on them. Eh, Maybe not. Without LeBron and Anthony Davis against the Celtics on TNT, the Celtics were sloppy. It seems as if they took the Lakers for granted. And with Austin Reeves looking like Jerry West, scoring 32 points in the process, they went up to Boston and won 114-105. to And then they came down the turnpike to play the Knicks there Saturday night. And the Knicks, who have not played with Julius Randle, as I didn't mention last week, he's going to be out two to three weeks on the shelf. And with Jalen Brunson being announced as an all-star, in the latter part of last week, that didn't phase LeBron and company because they were both in the lineup that night and with some stellar defense in the fourth quarter and some big shots there in the final, not few minutes, but in the final portion of the game, the Lakers were able to escape New York with a win and now go to Charlotte to see if they could build on this road trip, which is, I believe, a six-game road trip and a long one for them considering he had the Grammys and I know that the Clippers have had a long road trip and they're going back to LA right now. But for the Lakers, could this be the turnaround of their season considering that they were under 500 for most of it and now they're, I believe, a game over 500 as they try to creep up the standings in the Western Conference. They're still at 9, so it's not as if that they're in the 5-6 range where they could kind of get themselves out of that 7-10 through 10 range and avoid the play-in altogether. But they're still 3.5 games behind the Suns for that and 4 in the loss just to get to 6 in the West But let's see if this is the jolt that the Lakers needed to get themselves back 
above that 7-10 to 10 range to get themselves, I don't want to say relevant because anytime you have LeBron and Anthony Davis on the team, they're going to be relevant no matter what unless they just fall off the face of the earth. But let's pay some attention here to see if this is, could be something to build on. And let me look to see who they have the rest of this road trip. I'm sure it probably takes them to the Midwest and then back home. They have the, let's see, as I break it down here. After Charlotte, which actually this concludes their road trip, because the road trip started at Golden State, then they went to Houston, Atlanta, Boston, New York, and then Charlotte, which will be tonight. They then go home to Denver and play the Nuggets in their building on Thursday night. So they'll have some home cooking forthcoming. But let's see if they can close this trip with another victory, which will be three in a row and four and two on this trip, where they started off one and two. And let's see if the Lakers can continue their good fortunes here and get themselves, like I mentioned, creep up in the standings and some better positioning, especially as we get later into the season. Now, as far as what else is happening in the association, you have the trade deadline come Thursday. And I know a few of these players may be of the latest rumors or some hot names that could possibly be traded by 3 p.m. on Thursday. If you're looking at the Bulls, Zach Levine, DeJounte Murray of the Atlanta Hawks, those are two names that are going to be bandied about here over the course of the next 72 hours. Maybe even Bruce Brown, a glue guy who won a championship in Denver last year and was traded to the Raptors in that Pascal Siakam trade a couple of weeks ago. So you're not going to get any blockbusters here. Rarely do you get the blockbuster at the All-Star break or right before the All-Star break because the All-Star game or that weekend is the weekend after the Super Bowl so we'll have to see what's going to take place here between now and then as far as some player movement as far as teams trying to procure some talent for the latter part of the year I'm sure the Lakers are probably going to be in the mix as they were last trade deadline as they brought in guys like Rui Hachimura and a couple of others just to bring in some reinforcements to get themselves and as we saw there even with the playing tournament and getting to a conference final. Who knows if they're going to Rob Palinka, the GM. They're going to pull a rabbit out of the hat. And we'll be on Thursday one more time. Now, of course, it will be before the deadline. But anything that will happen between now and then, you know I got you covered. So those are the names that are going to be thrown around here over the course between now and Thursday. And as far as anything else happening in the association, I know you had... The deal with Steph Curry where he scored 60 points and that's something I talked about last week where now it seems like players are scoring 60 at the drop of a hat whether your name is Carl Anthony Towns, whether your name was Giannis earlier this year as I discussed that 64-point game. You also had the two 70-point games with Joel Embiid and Luka Doncic but you had Curry who had 60 but then the Hawks ended up winning that game and I believe there was some controversy there with a call in that game, I didn't really follow it that closely, but let's see if Curry, who I believe they're in Brooklyn tonight to play the Nets, so they're in town, and let's see what Curry and company will do here tonight against Brooklyn. You also have Bradley Beal return to the nation's capital. Remember, he was drafted by the Wizards, and he put up 43 in his return, which has to be a season high. We know that Beal's been in and out of the lineup, more so out than in because of injury, but for him to be appreciative upon his homecoming there in D.C. and puts up a big number against his former mates, so I'm sure that had to feel good for the one-time University of Florida player and also 
be a guy that's going to lead his team to victory where we all know that it's going to be Kevin Durant, Devin Booker heavy when it comes to those two guys being the pretty much Batman and Robin of the team. And let's see what else I got with the association. Besides that, as we are still a week and change away from the All-Star break, NBA talked about the Knicks and their streak and even with Cleveland, how they've played well over the last couple of weeks with a five-game winning streak. Out West, you pretty much have the same there with Minnesota and OKC. They're both tied again for the top spot in the Western Conference. Remember last week, Minnesota beat OKC at OKC, where Anthony Edwards had a few things to say about the refs at that time. The Clippers, they are one game behind, two games in hand, as both OKC and Minnesota are 35-15, and where the Clippers are 33-15. and And if the Clippers continue to play like this, and if they end up being, let's say, the top seed in the conference, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them, and on that coach, and on that team, especially with Kawhi being healthy and playing a ton of these games. And then you also have the Nuggets, who are just a half game behind the Thunder and T-Wolves at 35-16. and 16. So you have a log jam at the top of the Western Conference, which is going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. And then you have some separation there where the Kings are just, what, five games behind the top spot, then Phoenix, and then, of course, you have New Orleans on down there in the West. And in the East, we've talked about it pretty much with the Sixers and how they've fallen here. Orlando's trying to get their bearings as they've won three in a row. I know the Hawks have played... Well, to where they're now, I'm not going to say entrenched, but they do have a one game lead in the loss and a game and a half over the Brooklyn Nets for the final spot when it comes to 7-10. through 10. But with DeHonte Murray out there as possible trade bait, who knows if that's going to bode well. Maybe that whole murray Trey Young experiment is not working and maybe they could get back a surplus, whether it's picks or maybe even a player that could help alongside Trey Young who knows but like I mentioned earlier we will certainly continue to keep our eyes on that and one last thing in regards to Zach Levine which just dawned on me he's out actually four to six months with a foot injury but I believe he's going to be a free agent after this year or maybe is it next year I'm not too sure that I'd have to double check but I know that he's had foot surgery and he's going to be out for the remainder of the season so if a team's going to try to get him, and obviously he's not going to be able to play this year, but because he has been rumored and is a guy that certainly when healthy is a good offensive player, could put up points, and could actually be a good second or third option to a team that's looking for that scorer, but he's not going to pay immediate or instant dividends if a team is going to trade for him before Thursday. So that's the situation with Levine. Forgot to mention that earlier when it comes to these players that are rumored. So that is obviously a big asterisk there next to his name as a guy that could be traded. The likelihood, maybe it's going to be rather low because of his injury history. But who knows, teams will may take a chance and may want to have him on their squad next year, go through a training camp, etc. and feel that he may be worth the risk. So we'll just keep that in mind. That's what you have there with the association. Let me turn my attention now to the college sport where, as I said on Thursday's podcast, it is going to be just unpredictable, topsy-turvy, crazy, and you name it. I mean, what more else can I say when it comes to what to expect here in this college season, not only for the next month leading into the conference championship week, but of course, Selection Sunday and then the tournament, which will start, I believe, on March 
21st. So it's actually late this year. It's usually not around the 15th, 16th, or even St. Paddy's for that matter. In fact, St. Paddy's Day is Selection Sunday. But to take a look at the land here in college basketball, we had the Duke-North Carolina game there on Saturday with the Tar Heels winning 93-84. Now these aren't vintage teams as we know. This isn't the North Carolinas and Dukes of years past, although they did meet up in a Final Four a couple of years ago, and with North Carolina trying to redeem themselves, as well as Duke, of course, from what happened two years ago to last year, where they obviously were far cries from what they were back in the 2022 season. But for Hubert Davis, who's having a big year, and a lot of people think that maybe North Carolina could be one of those Final Four teams again and get themselves back to a championship game, again, I have to wait and see and get a better feel as we get deeper into this month and especially into March to really see whether or not North Carolina is going to be one of those teams that could be at the top when it's all said and done. And as it is, when I take a look at the rankings, UConn has been number one and they're the defending champ. And I would think that they're going to be a tough out here with Danny Hurley and quite possibly even the favorites going into the tournament. Obviously, we have to wait and see with, who knows, injuries or... And that was the thing with UConn. Last year, they were able to annihilate a lot of the teams out of conference, which certainly helped when they went into the tournament, where in the Big East, a little tricky, but of course they fared well. Not to say that they did not play well or that they were ineffective against their opponents there in the conference, but with UConn being the number one seed right now, you have to think maybe just based on their recent pedigree, that they could be the favorite. Although, Zach Eady and Purdue, they're going to argue that. We talked about North Carolina. Houston, who has had a big team a couple of years ago. Remember when they made it to the Final Four? And I believe that's when they lost to Baylor that year. That was the year that Baylor won and beat Gonzaga. So, for Houston, they're going to do whatever it takes to get back. Tennessee, we talked about them losing last week. And they dropped down in the rankings there a little bit. You still have the Blue Bloods, whether it's Kansas. Obviously, Duke's going to take a few notches back. Kentucky, who also lost last week as well, but they're right in the mix. Arizona, another team that's also been in the mix too. That's the one thing about college basketball, unlike last year. And we all know, once you get in the tournament, it's a different story. Where you have San Diego State, FAU, and Miami all getting to a Final Four. But there seems to be a lot of the teams that the average college basketball fan is familiar with. So when you see the likes of NC, Duke, Kentucky, Arizona, Kansas, those are the teams that a lot of people are going to recognize and be familiar with when we get closer to the tournament and obviously deeper into this college basketball season where once we get past the Super Bowl and NFL will be put to rest, college basketball, not to say it's going to be at the forefront or front and center, but we'll certainly get more into it as we get into this leap year month and into next month where we all know it is going to be college basketball wall-to-wall, especially when we get past Election Sunday and into the tournament. Now as I lace up my skates and take a trip on the ice, which we had a very quiet week due to the All-Star Week, and I didn't watch a second of the skills competition or even the game for that matter. I know Austin Matthews was having a huge year, 40-goal scorer here at the break. And may even be your MVP of the league this year when it's all said and done. Came away with the MVP as they won. And again, I didn't watch a second of it, uh, so I couldn't even tell you 
what went down or what took place. But for, and of course he's the hometown kid playing for the Maple Leafs and the game was up in Toronto. But for the quote-unquote second half, as the NHL's way past the halfway point of their season, here are some of the things to look out for. And I'm going to start off with the Pacific and the Vancouver Canucks because they made a trade last week for Elias Lindholm to bring in some offense. Now, he hasn't had big numbers this year, but he's a big-time playmaker, a guy that's going to enhance that Canuck offense. And Vancouver, who has had a tremendous year. They are tied with the Boston Bruins for the most points in the sport at 71. They have a seven-point lead over the defending Stanley Cup champs, Vegas Golden Knights, in the division. And that's even on top of a 12-point lead over the Edmonton Oilers, who, if you recall, went into the break with a 16-game winning streak, where tomorrow night they're going to go to Vegas to see if they can match the 92-93 Pittsburgh Penguins of 17 straight wins in NHL history. Now, I said this last week, the layoff I think is going to hurt them because to try to fire up the engines after a long break, and remember, Edmonton's last game was a week ago Saturday. That's already nine days. And I'm sure a lot of the guys, I understand Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl and maybe a handful of other Edmonton Oilers were part of the All-Star festivities, but a lot of the guys, whether they were on a beach somewhere in the Caribbean or they just happened to stay at home and rest their weary limbs to get themselves started up again. I'm sure there's going to be a burst of energy and I'm sure they're going to be reignited and reinvigorated. But to go on the road, Vegas, the team that's ahead of them in the division, to try to get that 17th consecutive game, not to say it's a tall order, but it may be a tough task. But we'll have to wait and see on that as I'll bring that up on Thursday's podcast. But Vancouver is looking to make a move by bringing in Lindholm and how that's going to take into shape for the division and even for the entire league because the Canucks, with how they played so far at 33-11-5, they're a team that I think are going to be in the mix as far as not only coming out of the West, but maybe even winning the whole thing when it's all said and done. Now, there's still plenty of hockey to be played. I get that injuries. We've seen eight speed ones in the postseason. All you got to do is look back last year where the Panthers beat the Bruins. And as I discussed ad infinitum last spring, how the Bruins with their big regular season spit the bit and gave up a two game series lead and had it all flushed down the toilet, losing in overtime to the Panthers as that eight one matchup. So, one more time, with the Canucks making that deal, I thought it was huge. The NHL trade deadline is not until March 8th, so you still have more than a month to go before players are going to be swapped and reinforcements brought in. But that's one storyline I'm going to look at the second half with Vancouver. Now, we can say the same for Vegas, even Edmonton with their streak, and even in the Central Division with Winnipeg, who was in first place right up until the break before Colorado and Dallas got on some winning streaks to where Winnipeg now is... One point behind Dallas for second place and two points behind Colorado for first place. And Colorado has played well. And with Nathan McKinnon, a lot of people could argue whether or not he could be the MVP of the league by the time we get to the award ceremonies next June. Or this coming June, I should say. But that's also another race we'll have to look at, which is hotly contested there in the Central. Now to move things east, I know the Bruins, again, having a big-time regular season. Nothing along the likes of last year, but... What are they going to do for an encore? Are they going to spit the bit again when we get to postseason? 
That is still have to be answered in another couple of months, but I'm sure the Bruins are going to be hearing all those whispers as the calendar, the days start to click off, and as we get into March and certainly into April, that is going to be just a big-time storyline to see whether or not the Bruins aren't going to fold like cheap suits, knowing that they have some amends to pay with their fan base from what we witnessed last year and them just gagging away a first-round series after an epic regular season. And then the Panthers, they've also played well going into the break, winners of four in a row, and even though they've been hot and cold, but they've still maintained that second place in the Atlantic Division. Who knows what you're going to get from Toronto, as we talked about. Now, they have a few games in hand, although they're currently fourth and one point behind Tampa for third place in the Atlantic, but we've talked about it time after time. The Maple Leafs, they're going to go into another, we would think, playoff to where they finally got over the hump last year and winning a first-round series. They haven't gone and won a Stanley Cup since 1967. This is a proud franchise, albeit a franchise that has not had a lot of winning in their franchise's most recent history. And when I mean recent, I'm not even talking about just the 2000s. We're talking even before that, going back to the 60s. But that has to be brought up because that is Hockey Town in Canada. Toronto, where the Hall of Fame resides. And they're going to be spotlighted here from now until the end of the regular season and beyond. And then the Metropolitan, we know the Rangers have played well. Carolina has also held their ground and are just two points behind the Rangers. The rest of the division is a crapshoot. You know, the Islanders, they've been hot and cold. And even with Patrick Waugh, They have not been able to get themselves in sync. So even with the head coaching change, not to say that it's been a bust. It's only been a couple of weeks. But now we're going to get to really see because the Rangers and Islanders, they have not played here. And we're already almost 50 games into the season. In fact, they're going to have the outdoor game in two weeks, which I'll actually be at. So that would be two weeks from yesterday where the Islanders and Rangers are going to play at MetLife. That would have been better if they played Yankee Stadium, but I get it. They're doing the two games there with the Devils and Flyers the day before where the Flyers come up the turnpike and then through the Lincoln Tunnel where the Islanders and Rangers are going to have to go to to get to MetLife to play on the Sunday afternoon game. But the Rangers, who have been in good stead, first place consistently there throughout the course of the season, even with Carolina breathing down their necks. And although the Flyers have played well, not going into the break, loses a five in a row. Then you have the Islanders, Penguins. Who knows what you're going to get from them. The Devils, I understand that they've had Jack Hughes out of the lineup, and I believe he's going to return in their first game back. So that's going to be a welcome addition to the Devils to see if they could get themselves climbing back up the standings. And then you have the Capitals, the Blue Jackets after that, which we may not expect much there from those two teams. And that's what you're looking at here in the second half. I know the Kings fired their coach, Tom McClellan. And the Kings, you know, they've had a relatively decent year. And even though the Oilers have gone past them, thanks to that 16-game winning streak, but I guess McClellan, maybe his message was falling on deaf ears in that clubhouse. Who knows? But NHL, I get it. It may not be for everybody. They may tune in come April, May, and June. Totally get it. But as we start to make that pivot after this coming Sunday... And all we'll have is currently with the sports landscape and that Sports Dead Zone Part 1 where it's going to be NBA, college basketball, and NHL. You guys are going to have to deal with it. 
That's all there is to it. I understand you want to push the fast forward button to maybe the tournament or even baseball for that matter for those who love what's happening on the diamond. But yeah, it's going to be not slim pickings, but there's not going to be an overabundance or a cup will runneth over when it comes to sports post-February 11th. And lastly, let me get to this as I put on my cleats and get in the batter's box with some baseball. The Orioles made a very significant trade in bringing in Corbin Burns from the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, Burns is a guy that has won a Cy Young back in 2021, a guy who you're going to pencil in at the top of the rotation. And the Orioles, who we all know have the good young core players and still even in the pipeline coming up, whether your name is Jackson Holiday, the former number one pick, the son of Matt Holiday, and for the Orioles who just need to have that one stud, that one ace, the guy that you know could halt a losing streak. And for Burns to now come in here and be that guy, I understand Baltimore, it's not Boston, Philly, New York, but there's going to be a lot of pressure for him to perform. And he's going into a walk year to boot. So he can have that monster year and set himself nicely to make a big payday when it's all said and done. But first things first, after the Orioles won an AL East last year with 101 wins in their back pocket and for Burns to now come in here and be that guy. Milwaukee, Midwest, he had two other good pitchers with him on the rotation, whether it was Brandon Woodruff or Freddie Peralta, but he's going to be the guy. And I understand you're going to have Jonathan Means, who's still on his way back from Tommy John, although we would think he'd be 100% healed. And that would be another big addition to their rotation because he was a guy that pitched a no-hitter a few years ago, if you remember. But whether you have him, whether you have Kyle Bradish, whether you have other guys, Kyle Gibson already left. He moved on to greener pastures for him. But they do not have a stout rotation. But bringing back Means is certainly a help. And having Burns there at the very top is tremendous so Burns with one more time going into his last year before free agency knowing that he could have a big team behind him and they could put up some runs and as long as he pitches his six seven innings and goes deep in the games and strikes out a lot of batters as he's done over the last couple of years you would think that it's going to be the Orioles division to lose but with the Yankees making an upgrade there with Soto and bringing in Stroman and the Blue Jays, who are still kind of floundering, trying to see what they can do to piecemeal their team together. Although they do have a very good rotation. But does it match up against the Yankees with the reigning Cy Young Award winner and Garrett Cole with a healthy Nestor Cortez and maybe a refurbished and renewed Carlos Rodon? And then Tampa, we know they're always resourceful and they may win 90, 92, 94, 95 games, but will always spit the bit come October. And who knows what you're going to get out of the Red Sox. Probably not much. So the Orioles, with their young core, and now with Burns there, you would think that they still should be the favorites to win a division by the time we get to the start of the season in late March. And that is a huge upgrade. And kudos to the Orioles, who had a big week with the new ownership group, that private equity group, with... Grant Hill, as well as Michael Bloomberg and a couple other guys that also bought the team who are the mainstays there. And then now bringing in a big pitcher, which I'm sure the fan base, boy, you talk about Christmas coming in February, to not only have new ownership, but also have the 
stud that you're looking for at the top of the rotation well played there Baltimore Orioles well played and besides that I got nothing else there with baseball and that will do it another episode just about in the books you heard the news from the very top of the podcast and I'm not going to regurgitate it or repeat it but yes yours truly is looking forward to what the future has in store and I thank you for stopping by for your contribution to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports if you want to hit me up with a question comment suggestion you can do so on my YouTube channel at JReels Instagram TikTok Facebook the JReels podcast Twitter X JReels one just a number or the old fashioned way the JReels podcast at gmail.com I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA, as I like to say. And one more time, we're going to take this to heights that I've never seen. And you guys and gals are a part of this. Because without your help and without your contribution, sharing the word with your family, friends, the sports fans in your life, etc. Listen, would I still do this? Absolutely. Because I do this with every fiber and deep in my core. Because I love it. But I do it for you guys and gals. Because you're the one that is pushing the word out. You're the one that's telling the people that mean the most to you. Or even the casual person, whether it's at your job. Or someone that you may think would be interested in hearing a voice that's going to talk about all sports in roughly an hour. And there's not a niche. I cover it all, people, as you well know. And I'm going to continue to do that. With fire, passion, fury, Energy with my thoughts, opinions, critiques, analysis, praise on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>